So hey, we've, uh, we're getting uh, closer to the end of this series on mountaintop treasures. We've been visiting some of the mountains throughout the Bible and noticing that at the top of each of these mountains there's a treasure. There's some blessing. There's something for us to have that's meant to really touch and impact our lives. And uh, last week in particular, we looked at Mount Zion and discovered that the treasure on the top of Mount Zion was that redeemed sinners make the best worshipers. That we all hold in our hearts. Listen, we all, every one of us in this room, holds in our hearts a powerful expression of worship, and it's simply this. Gratitude to God for the forgiveness for our sins. I mean, that alone. You say, well, how do I worship God? Just express your gratitude that you're forgiven by His grace. Yes? And we discovered in the Scriptures that, you know... uh, Redeemed sinners make the best kind of worshipers. There's a place in Luke chapter 7 where a prostitute was really just loving Jesus and was anointing him, was washing, washing his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And Jesus was criticized for allowing her to do this. And Jesus said, hey, she's loving much because she has been forgiven of so much. And so you dandelions, boy, that landed. I never received so many emails about my little dandelion illustration last week. Fantastic. You connected with that, eh? You dandelions, you people that some people think are weeds, Karen and I consider to be beautiful. Thank you for coming to the vineyard and joining us and expressing your gratitude for God for the deep forgiveness of sin that he's given us through his son, Jesus. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. Today we're going to look at another mountaintop, the, the, the treasure of the Mount of Transfiguration. It's quite an amazing story, really. You'll want to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 17. The context of this passage is that uh, not long before this, uh, this encounter, Peter had just kind of disclosed the true identity of Jesus, kind of blown his cover when Jesus had his disciples around and said, hey, who do people say that I am? And they were saying, well, some say John the Baptist, some say this, some say that. And uh, Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? And Jesus said, well, I I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one. It's you. We understand that. And Jesus said, well, this has been disclosed to you by the Father, and what you're saying is true. And so this is the whole context of the thing. And so uh, not long after that, in Matthew 17, the Bible says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So we're on another mountaintop. And there he was transfigured before them, changed, transfigured. The figure of Jesus was somehow mysteriously and miraculously changed. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, that would be something to say, would it not? I'm not sure how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. I don't know if there's like a yearbook or something, you know, that they, they kind of had traded, traded like prophet cards in those days or something, you know, I'll trade you one Habakkuk for actually three Habakkuks for one Elijah or something like that. But uh, they recognized what was happening. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, 
He saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah's already come, and they didn't recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at his hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. You know, Lord, as we look into your word for a few minutes this morning, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come and be the real teacher, be the real speaker, be the one who speaks to the places in our hearts that will eternally benefit from, from the power of your word, Lord. We don't need a teaching from man, Lord. We need, we need food from heaven. And so we look, look to you and we lay our hearts before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's see what we can do to understand this. I think one question that might come up in your mind, you Bible students, is like, okay, so there's a Mount of Transfiguration. Where was this mountain exactly? I'm going to give you four answers. First, the Bible does not say. The Bible does not specify where this mountain was in particular. So I think you have to begin there. The second answer is it might have been Mount Tabor. Traditionally, this mountain is, uh, has been a, this Mount Tabor, a place in Palestine, has been assigned as the Mount of Transfiguration. The reason for that is because one of the early church fathers, a guy named Origen, I thought he had a really original name, but a guy named Origen, actually, who was a very colorful character in a lot of different ways, he, he's, a, he's someone who said, well, the Mount of Transfiguration was Mount Tabor. Now, here's how this worked. As the Gospels were being written... They're being written, and there's, there's a whole bunch of assumed information in there because it's being written to people who understand what the situation was, kind of being written to each other who were, who were contemporaries with the whole situation. And so there were, when they said this or said that, there would have been a lot of understanding into where that was, what that was. But then as time went on, you would have lost touch with that if you weren't there living in culture at the time. It would be like, you, you know, somebody reading something from you hundreds of years from now going, well, I'm going to meet you at the shoe on Saturday afternoon, right? It's like, well, what is the shoe? And you know what the shoe is, but someone out of context wouldn't be able to know what the shoe is. So what happens in the second and third centuries after the people who weren't with Jesus at the time, but, you know, were pretty close in gen- generationally to people who were with Jesus at the time, started realizing this and started saying, well, the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, was Mount Tabor. Origen was really big into this. So he would have, you know, been the son of the son of the son of someone who was there kind of thing. And so the stories, because they were so important, were still bigger than the, the record. Okay. The record was written down, but there was no Bible yet. The Bible wasn't there yet. And so we have to rely questions like this on these people called the church fathers who were the next wave of generations of believers after the disciples does that make sense so origin says mount Tabor. Um, more recently scholars have suggested uh, maybe it was mount herman the reason being is because mount herman was the highest in elevation in this particular area and and it says right here it says that uh, jesus took them up a high mountain you notice as we've been looking at some of these other mountains, they would just refer to it as a mountain or a mount, and really just talking about an elevation, not as impressive 
as you know something that would be called a high mountain. And so scholars have said maybe it's Mount maybe it's Mount Hermon, because Mount Hermon was also in this region of Caesarea Philippi where the confession of Christ was made just a few days earlier. Is that making sense? Okay, my fourth answer is that the Bible does not say where this mountain was. And here is my point. My point is that the Bible does not say where this mountain was for the same reason that there were no artistic renderings of Jesus. There are no artistic renderings of Jesus. We can only speculate what he looked like. The Bible didn't really say what he looked like. There are some general references from Isaiah uh, about his appearance, but nothing in any detail. And so the Bible doesn't say. And the Bible doesn't say for the same reason the Bible doesn't specify the precise locations of things like where exactly the cross was, where exactly the tomb was. Why not? Because God does not want us to worship those places. God does not want us to call a place holy. God is holy. God does not want us to trade in a dynamic relationship with Him for an empty religion of worshiping places. So the Bible does not say. One of the central points of the incarnation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God is something called His transcendence. Say transcendence. Good. means that Jesus is not limited to a time. Jesus is not limited to a place. Or Jesus isn't even limited. The worship of Him isn't limited to a particular way. He is transcendent. He is beyond all of that. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman's kind of taking him on, you know, and saying, Well, look, you know, you're, we worship here as Samaritans. You Jews worship there. And Jesus said, Look, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, Yet a time is coming and a now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So when you get nervous about, oh, we don't know where the Mount of Transfiguration, thank God you don't know where the Mount of Transfiguration is. Else you might make some kind of pilgrimage there to worship the mountain and not worship the God. The God of the Mount of Transfiguration is here. In this room today, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to jump through any religious hoops. He's here. Do you want him? Do you want him? He's here. Do you need him? He's here. The God of the Mount of Transfiguration is here. You don't need a mountain. You don't need a cathedral. You don't need a man in a robe with a funny hat. This is funny enough, right? Come on. Please always resist, and it's so insidious, resist the insidious temptation to allow your relationship with the living Christ to become a religion of man. Watch for it. It's so subtle. It's so subtle. The shift is so subtle. There's a whole book called Galatians in the New Testament devoted to helping you be free from that. Study it, know it, embrace it, let it own you. Let the book of Galatians master you so that you can live freely in Christ without respect to religion or law. Okay? Say, okay, I'm starting this whole thing again. 
Okay, so the answer to where is it is who cares where it was, where the mountain is? We don't care. A better question is what's the significance of the event of the transfiguration? This amazing thing happened. This amazing thing was recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. There must be an amazing significance, yeah? Let me suggest three things. First, that Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. This is so important. Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Who does he meet with? He meets with Moses. Law. Who does he meet with? He meets with Elijah. Prophets. The law and the prophets work together, were woven together to create a place for Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And in the midst of this experience where these disciples are watching Jesus and Moses and Elijah, a voice comes from heaven and said, this is my son. And I'm well pleased in him. What he's doing is good. And then he says, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. The purpose of that was the significance of that. The significance of that is that you can have confidence today, beloved, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can have complete confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father as the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the new covenant in complete and perfect fulfillment of the old covenant. And you can have confidence in that. Don't let the devil mess with your mind about whether you're really saved. Is your faith in Jesus Christ today? Is your faith in Christ, church? I'm going to try one more time. Is your faith in Christ today, church? Then you're saved. The worst thing that can happen to you today is you can die and go to heaven. Your faith is in Christ. You're saved. Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And we see that on the Mount of Transfiguration. Second, that Jesus further revealed his glory. I love this. These three disciples were privileged to see a further manifestation of the glory of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, the Bible says that when Jesus came as the incarnate Son of God, it says in Philippians that he laid down his right to be God. <laughs> but he still leaked glory. <laughs> I love this. He still had glory to reveal. And that Jesus revealed his glory. And you need to know that this glory is something that you crave. But when these, um, when these disciples saw the glory of God, they never forgot it. Years later in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter wrote this. He said, we do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty saying, we saw something. We saw something. For he received honor and glory. And what? He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice and came, that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain, when we were with him. John 1.14, John said the word became flesh. John was also there and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen the glory. Jesus manifested. He revealed his glory. I love Jesus' first miracle, John chapter 2. What did he do? Yeah, make, make wine out of water. What a great guy to have at a party, right? And that's exactly where he was. He was at the party. And, and they run out of wine. His mom's all, Jesus. And he goes, Mother, why do you trouble me with these things? My time has not yet come. And she says, just do what he says. Come on, Mom. You got us. You got us, Mom. You got us. You know, he already asked. You know, I'm not going to do that. She goes, he'll do it. He'll do it. <laughs> just you guys watch, watch. Just do whatever he says. So gets a bunch of pots and fills them with water and and Jesus turns it all into wine. But I love at the end of this whole uh, whole narrative in verse 11, it said that this is the first of Jesus' many miracles. And it said, and he thus revealed his glory. He thus revealed his glory. He revealed his glory. He revealed his glory. He revealed his glory. Look, the significance of the transfiguration is Jesus really kind of digs showing us his glory. All right? He really likes to share his glory with us. And it's his glory that you crave. It's his glory that you crave. This experience that some of you are having and others of you are trying to have, wanting to have, it's about the revelation of the glory of God in your presence. And you know it. It's powerful. It's internal sometimes. Sometimes it's external, and then it's mind-blowing. But the revelation of the glory of God is the thing you're after. That's the thing you're asking for. That's the thing you're driving for. That's the wine you want to drink. Right there is the revelation of the glory of God. That's what you're going for. I just want to help. I hope this just helps give you language for what it is you're seeking. Okay? You're not, you're not seeking maybe what you think you are. Sometimes you see the revelation. Somebody else talk about their experience of the revelation of the glory of God, and you say, well, I want their experience. No, you don't want their experience. You want your experience of the revelation of the glory of God in your life. Does that make some sense? So I'm just saying, this is the thing you crave. This is, this is what keeps you coming here. This is what keeps you coming. You're holding me to the promise that if you seek God, he'll seek you. I'm just using the Bible. It's the revelation of God's glory. And then third, uh, I think the significance is that really that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the significance of the transfiguration. Ask me how I got that. I'll look back at our passage. It's in the Bible. Matthew 17, our passage starts out so, so simply by saying, after six days. What do you want to ask? What happened six days earlier, huh? <laughs> this whole Bible thing is just really fun. There's some people who have made a lot of fuss about the six days, saying it's, a, it's some kind of fulfillment of something that happened in Exodus on the Mount, and then six days later. I have an enormous problem with that. Because in Luke's revelation, and Luke's account of this, who's usually really good with details, Luke says about eight days later. So, <laughs> so the actual number is irrelevant. Is this, is this a contradiction? Is this one of those contradictions in the Bible? No. Matthew and Mark say six days. Luke says about eight days. So, you know, you know how it is, right? They're writing this way after the fact. But something happened. Something happened earlier that we ought to, we ought to look back to. 
And what happened was Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. I told you when I started this message is there was that whole thing when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you're right. And you couldn't know that unless the Father revealed that to you. You're right. Now, after six days, they're saying, after six days, Jesus takes Peter, a couple of the other fellows, you know, his eyewitnesses, up onto the mountain and confirms it. Confirms that he is the Christ. He's the one. It's really him. It's really him. Jesus really is the long-awaited Messiah. So the treasure of Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration is simply this. It's him. It's really him. Jesus really is who he says he was. Jesus, it's really him. It's really him. That's the treasure of the Mount of Transfiguration. Is it's really him. And the power of this confirmation of his identity is enormous. Because it means that if it's really him, then everything else he said is true. If it's really him, then everything else he said is true. He's confirming it's really me. Let me show you. And if it's really him, then when he said, In my father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's true too. And if it's really him, then when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that's true too. And if it's really him when the Bible says that the Son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, that's true too. So it's all true, is what this means. That this is all true. The significance of the transfiguration is Jesus saying, it's all true. Look. It's really me. And if that's all true, then here's something that's also true. And it's true that we are right now living in a parallel reality with something called the kingdom of God. That this kingdom of God thing is also true. And that all this that we can discern with our senses is one thing. But another thing that is just as real but not discernible with the senses in the same way is this thing called the kingdom of God where the presence of the Holy Spirit wants to come in and embrace us and touch us and fill us and amaze us. That's true too. So last week when so many people were up here praying for others to be, to be healed, that's the kingdom of God kingdom of God coming rushing in that that's true too and you say well I haven't experienced it yet well that means it's not true I've never been to the shoe I'm pretty sure it's real I've seen it on TV just because you haven't experienced doesn't mean it's not true right keep pressing keep pressing keep coming Keep resting. Keep releasing your faith. It's true. The, the treasure of the Mount of Transfiguration is that it's really Him. If it's really Him, 
then Jesus is Lord. No matter what kind of bad news you're working with in your life, Jesus is Lord over it. He's Lord over it. He's bigger than it. You say, well, what should I do? If it's really him, what should I do, Tom? Ask me. Number one, you must be born again. Does this sound familiar? You've got to be born again. Just because it's him doesn't mean we're done. So it's him. It's him when the Bible says, Yet yeah, to all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We must be born again. We must come to him. Release our faith for him. Release. Say, yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to be an authentic follower of Jesus. I'm ready. I want, I want to do this, Lord. I give you my life. Number two, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't try to walk this Christian thing out on your own. You know, use whatever language you want. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care. Potato, potato. Just, just get embraced by the Holy Spirit, would you? Become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Discover the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit living in your life. Third thing you need to do is you must allow yourself to be fully embraced as a son or daughter of the living God, of the Father who loves you. <laughs> There's no more to be done. There are no more hoops to jump through. It's just stepping into the, your, your, your identity as the beloved of God, enjoying that space. So, Father, we thank you for the Mount of Transfiguration. We just love that you came and showed us that it's really you. It means everything to us, Lord. Ways that we can't even be. If it's really you, then our, everything changes, Lord. If it's really you, then the way we have our marriages and raise our kids and go to work and have relationships with anybody else on the planet changes if it's really you really you it changes how we respond to news of sickness and disease or adversity of any kind if it's really you all of this changes lord and so we we want to be embraced by this power of this truth that it's you that you revealed to these disciples your glory to confirm that what they had said about you is true and we embrace that truth that's true then the rest of the bible is true about this whole kingdom dynamic coming flooding into this room right now and healing our sick setting our addicted free in the name of jesus come on come on lord invite your power into this room right now let the church be ignited as the church let's hear the alarm clock go off lord Awaken us from our slumber, Lord. Father, stir in every heart the thing that you want. Your church is your day. So come, move. We invite your Holy Spirit to come now. And move powerfully in the hearts of those who are in critical places in their lives. God, I just pray for them. I pray for those who are in those defining moments in their lives where something has to happen. I invite you to come. Come, Lord. Hey, let's have some prayer ministry people. Come on up, please. Take your places up here. You could come to these people for anything. You got a 
physical, got bad news from the doctor, bring it up here to one of these people. You'd like to become a Christian? Come on up to one of these people. Anything at all. You're dealing with some anxiety that's just got to get lifted off your shoulders? Come on. Come on. Just come on up to these people. These are people who just want to pray. Church, let's stand and worship the Lord for a while and just follow the stirring of your heart.